Disrupting Worship, the podcast, is a set of conversations about the future of gathered worship. In the midst of struggle and tragedy, lockdown has offered us an unprecedented opportunity to pause, reflect and reshape what it looks like to meet with God, the world and one another. I'm really glad to have Karen Campbell joining us and who I think has got some really helpful insights around the bigger picture of disrupting worship in general. So Karen, um, lovely, lovely to have you with us. Just say a few words about who you are, maybe where you're based, kind of kind of what you're doing, you know, um, currently. Well, hello, Grace and Sam. It's good to see you, although it's virtual. <laughs> and, uh, my name is Karen Campbell. I uh, am originally from County Armagh in Northern Ireland mm-hmm. and grew up there, um, but Then uh, after graduation, lived for some time in Africa, in Kenya for a few years, and then came back to Northern Ireland, got ordained in the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. But uh, I now live in Grand Rapids in the state of Michigan in the United States. And I'm working here as a pastor in uh, a CRC denomination uh, in a city church, very multicultural city church. And we've been here three years now and we're still in lockdown too pretty much <laughs> like yeah just really quickly like what are some, some been some of your church's responses to you know how, how have you technically and done worship in yeah. in this season so yeah I think the the temptation always is just go back to what you know play it safe um <laughs> sing yeah. the songs that everybody knows yeah And so there was a little bit of an impulse of that, but um, we're still in virtual uh, church worship. So we're doing Zoom worship on a Sunday morning. Um, We are also, uh, in the past, we've done Wednesday night, something that just developed very organically. We called it Dark Times, Deep Grace, where we Mm. read a psalm together. Wow. um, because the fabric of our community, we have a lot of professional artists. So we invited an artist to come on Facebook Live and draw what they were hearing from that Sam while I played and noodled on the piano. Wow. That was just a real fun, unexpected moment that's mm. very simple, just reading a Sam. But mm. you know, people typed in what they heard God say through the Sam. They were able to see something visually. And it was multicultural as well. Mm. So we had um, a beautiful Sudanese girl draw for us. We had a Sri Lankan uh, draw and then some of our American artists as well. So that was life-giving for, for us. That sounds deeply rich and moving. We In one of the earlier podcasts of Andy Flanagan, he, we talked a lot about lament, didn't we, Sam? And that sounds a really um, accessible yet in uh, deep truthful way to do lament and uh, and to hear God speak through the scriptures. And this was the time last summer when you probably know there was racial tension in all the cities and there was riots and we intentionally chose the imprecatory Psalms were, God, what are you doing here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
there wasn't much of the praise uh, psalms that we chose, but we deliberately just stayed in the lament, the questioning. We long for justice. And that was helpful because it helped give people words. Uh, and it was directed to God. It wasn't just a rant on social media that many people love to do these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds so helpful and so practical. Um Karen, it's lovely to have you on. And you and I have met before when we were over in, in Northern Ireland, I think just before you were about to go and start your new uh, posting. But um, recently during lockdown, we were both part of a um, Presbyterian Church in Ireland Zoom thing, obviously, because everything's on Zoom. Yeah. And uh, it was just at the point when Grace and I were talking about starting to do this podcast and and, and you came on. Uh, this zoom and you started talking about disrupting worship but it was an angle that I'm not sure that Grace and I had quite got to in our heads yet which was around how God disrupts the worship of his people in in scripture and and then you you went on and talked about other things but we just love to pick your brains about that really because I think you know we we all know the experience of we can't meet in our buildings, we can't sing, we can't do this, that people are lamenting, all of that stuff. Um, but I don't think we've particularly touched on so much how, you know, we're not the first people to have this experience. And actually so much of scripture is people going, as you say, God, what is going on? Um, so yeah, just love to sort of pick your brains really and have a conversation around that stuff and from your perspective and stuff. So yeah. Yeah, and I, I was thinking about this again, Sam, this morning about God, even within his own being, allowing himself to be disrupted by our cries for, you know, lament. And, you know, the incarnation is probably the most visible example of God getting out of his comfort zone, allowing himself to be disrupted and coming into a world, to be honest, in a context where, you know, two-year-olds were being slaughtered, it wasn't the, the easy time mm -hmm. to just come down and uh, be present in, in humanity. So even, you know, the notion that, that God within his own being allows disruption, and is not afraid of it, but there's, there's a greater kingdom that can be built from it. And I think... Yeah getting that at the centre, but then looking back into the the Old Testament and how so many leaders uh, were disrupted, brought out of their comfort zones. You think of Moses yeah. um, being called out um, to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go so that they can worship and have a greater mm. sense of worship. But then, um, you know, once things began to settle down and the temple was built and, you know, I imagine they got a little bit comfortable the way we all do and habits of and rituals uh, of worship. And then the exile happened where they were disrupted again, God's people. And I love just the Psalms. I've always loved the Psalms, but I love Psalm 137, where the, the, the lament is there, by the rivers we cry. <laughs> you know, this is not how we imagined our lives to work out. Yeah. But where are you in, in this foreign place? So there's disruption there. But by the time you get a couple of chapters down to Psalm 139, there's that beautiful, beautiful psalm. God, wherever I go, you've searched me and known me. If I go to the depths, you're there. If I go to the heights. Yeah. And I do wonder, 
if we need disruption to break open the sense that we're not in control, um, but God has a bigger a, a bigger understanding of how to get close to his people, you know, and sometimes we need disrupted to be reminded we're not the ones in control of this yeah. world. We often yeah. fool ourselves by our nice tidy worship <laughs> that we are, but, you know, even the very idea of Sabbath and um, Jubilee where God intentionally has these laws to say, look, stop, disrupt mm. what you're doing, disrupt um, your lifestyle and just press pause and remember through your worship that I'm here. Uh, I'm the one in control. And, you know, that for me is so powerful because it's a, a shalom-oriented theology that's not just for the privileged, but it's to enable the refugees to rest. It's enabling uh, those, the minority cultures, to rest to and find a sense of belonging. So this idea of shalom and justice and mercy is is for everybody. It's not just for, you know, the chosen few, whoever they think they are, but it's it's to bless the entire the entire world. You know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was speaking that thing on Sabbath. And Sabbath is a is a kind of controlled exercise in disruption. Yeah, yeah. But actually, how I don't think I've ever perceived it in that way. And I wonder how many other people perceive it in that way. Does 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 that make sense? But if we take a Sabbath seriously, not just a day off to do my chores, but a day to cease from labouring, to cease from buying, to cease from seeking to achieve to 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 realize that the world will still keep turning even though I'm not working is a major disruption and I, I my mind was that's what that's where my, I was landing about how God has given us this invitation to every six days to to enter into this disruption it doesn't mean but and yet how I wonder if in the past we'd entered into that more would we have struggled in some areas a bit less does, mm. does, does, does that make sense? So no one can no one can prepare themselves for a pandemic. It's just it's just how it is. But I just wonder whether collectively have have I not um, or do we not kind of be aware that actually that all these little invitations of unsettling that actually can be uh, uh, opportunities for us to encounter God's shalom and God's grace. But our decision to keep it all under control. <laughs> has meant we've, we've become quite inflexible, just, just as I'm saying, and not flexible enough. So there's a book, I've not read the book, but oh, it's the guy did the Black Swan talking this whole thing about you need, you need this in the way the world is now, you need this strength, but this flexibility. Just, yeah. just what I'm trying to say, Karen. Mm-hmm. So I just wonder if some of these ancient practices strengthen us to enable us to bend with the wind. It's not that we go and follow every next phase or whatever, 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 but that we know who our God is. So, but I've, somehow we're able to know that it's still okay in the storm. And we're going to have to bend a little yeah. um, and, and God is still there and that's okay. And I just wonder in this mega disruption of, of the pandemic, um, our church communities struggling partly because actually we've been so 
confined <laughs> and we haven't haven't learned to flex our discipleship muscles in a way that actually every week you know this this is an invitation to to have this little moment of disruption yeah I don't know I'm, I'm just riffing here but that's just what really that's just what really um has landed and so when I'm thinking going forward as in the UK we're slightly coming out of this out of pandemic how much do we can can we hold on to what we've discovered yeah. so that we can continue in a way to be this, a young sapling, but one that is not so rigid, it can't move, but it can, but it can, it can move with, 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 with the various trials um, of life. So yeah, that's just what I was thinking about the whole Sabbath um, as a ritual in disruption. But often I just think we just think, Oh, it's just a Sabbath. I, I just special. That, that word flexibility that you introduced, Grace, you know, because um, I think there's something about staying supple with God. Um, it, it reminds me of the, the Greek word to fathom the, the depths of God's love. And that idea of fathom is to stretch out and be supple in your own response to God's rich love. And what a powerful idea because I think we do get stuck as you get older you get rigid and less flexible and you can't <laughs> you can't touch your toes anymore you know things but you know our calling is to um, allow God to disrupt our consumer cultural idols Monday to Saturday to take that pause and instead to respond to the calling to fathom to to fathom God's love, which is the better way. Um, it's the more true way. It's the more life giving way than all these idols and control mechanisms we put that help us think we believe we're in control when we're we're just not. You know, our lives are so dependent on God. Our lives are not our own. They're fragile. They're gone with the wind. But equally finding our place in God's big story of love, you know, that he disrupted himself coming down in the incarnation and through the resurrection shows us the bigger picture of shalom, you know, of well-being, of harmony, of joy. Yeah. I was thinking about when you were saying about the the wilderness experience of Moses and stuff that, you know, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. And Sarah and I did a resource around that. Um, and part of it we were saying was, you know, there's a difference between what I would call mountaintop worship, which is great, you know, and it's the high praise and the, you know, lavish music and all the bells and whistles. But then there's also this sort of wilderness worship, which is, so stripped back and it's more about sabbath and sacrifice and silence and simplicity and all those sort of things that i think often the contemporary church has kind of forgotten and we try to do mountaintop every week and in every season you know but actually you know some people choose wilderness and some people have wilderness thrust upon them and i feel like this has been a wilderness time but you know, if we can regain some of those practices of wilderness, some of those things of stripping it all back, you know, I don't, I don't know if you if you have thought about that. Or... Yeah, uh, pilgrimage worship comes to mind. What what does it mean to be always on the move with God, so mm. that we're not trying to settle down in our mountaintop? And um, I think of Mary. Um, 
who was told by the angel you're going to have this baby and you know, had to tell her boyfriend that's yeah. called for what he is asking her boyfriend Joseph this you know that was so disruptive and yet she was so small in the world's eyes probably carried the disgrace and yet got that you mm. know and I think it's being in those wilderness places it's the people who live in those places that get the upside down nature of the kingdom. You know, it's the John the Baptist in the wilderness who um, chose to baptize way far from the temple so that, you know, the, the rules of the temple and who's allowed in and who's not allowed in, they just didn't at the river, the dirty river Jordan didn't come to bear. And, you know, there's something so liberating about the, those, those pilgrim people who are able to strip away unhealthy ideas of worship and stay true to their the, the baptismal calling of knowing uh, regardless of who we are we're loved by God and we don't deserve it you know that mm. grace mm. um that um, did an earlier podcast looking at worshiping outside and uh, I was talking to my husband about it afterwards and um and how we could make do it and how it will be sustainable and he said you know what you know what then it's, it's just um sometimes just going to meet and chat and there'll be no sermon there'll be no kind of designated input and I wonder if um we are speaking as a church leader still caught up in this unless I have given the word or unless I've expounded the scriptures or unless I have even given a homily our gathered time isn't together and what you started off talking about Cameron that whole I you just said this I we read a psalm people responded and there it was uh, also responded to in art um was making that room for god to do what only god could could do but yeah i don't know was, i don't know if you can make that as a church leader this sense of i must produce <laughs> I, I wonder and i wonder whether in this time of pandemic have you heard that stronger call of actually less really is more and i i, I don't have to produce i you know it's okay just to do a lecture divina. That is that is worship. That is gathering the collective. I don't know what your your thoughts are because I think as leaders leaders in ministry, I hate that term ministry, but we as if we have to justify our existence mm-hmm. by delivering certain things. Yeah. And what I'm hearing about this emphasis on shalom and disruption and the space that Moses held, he was just listening to a call. And just following these pilgrim males listen to a call and just following, but there wasn't this pressure to produce. And I just wonder where, what your reflections have been on, you know, leadership pandemic and that pressure to produce. Yeah, like I think we all fall into that trap, Grace, of what more can we do? You know, what what more what new trick um, is in the bag to to keep people with us? And then you're into counting your numbers how many people are on our zoom this sunday <laughs> how many likes are we getting on our you know oh dear 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 you know <laughs> confessions of the clergy <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so you know i, I was reading uh, recently zechariah to god's vision of the, the holy city jerusalem and there was this man measuring out and counting exactly will this be big enough to fit the people in and you know, the angel just says to him, you don't need to count because there's no walls in this place. <laughs> God, God is the centre, God is the glory, and God will be the walls as well. And I think that ties into this idea of 
getting out into creation, getting out of where the walls are and, you know, meditating, using the metaphors of the beauty of creation, of how the trees make room for each other. There's space plenty and just seeing that bigger picture again. But I think maybe add it to that too, you know, what we've returned to quite a bit are the sacraments in worship, um, particularly baptism, which I think often gets, you know, put to the side because we're not sure how to communicate it well. It's so deep, it's mysterious. But over Lent, we talked about our baptismal identity and it was still snowing in Grand Rapids and we encouraged children to put water in in a balloon and put it outside to freeze it like a teardrop Mm -hmm. and then over the course of Lent watch the teardrop slowly melt to remember that they're all baptized in in Christ and I think the core takeaway for me in our baptismal identity is that we've already died you know and I think that's been a healthy reminder in a pandemic where death is in front of us all the time. And there's a fear. There's there's so much anxiety. We don't like talking about death um, and our own mortality. But to remember in, in our baptism, we've already died uh, to, to sin and we're alive. And really, our, our second human death is just completing that baptism and... You know, looking back, I think that was so helpful for us. And, you know, maybe it's maybe God's timing, but, you know, we lost um, two people tragically over Lent. And just to be able to return to our baptismal calling and that we're loved, we're held, we're not our own. You know, those bigger ideas have been so helpful. Yeah, I mean, we've talked in, in earlier podcasts, but it is... It does, I mean, and it goes back to that lament thing, doesn't it? Of, of just allowing that space to explore some of those more difficult emotions, and whether that comes in music or in conversation or in prayer or art. But I, I do, I feel like we we want to sort of judge people up. Come on, people, let's be happy. Let's, you know, look on the bright side. And but yeah. you know, it doesn't. It doesn't quite fit with with the way of Jesus and with the way of Scripture, which seems to be very honest about some of these things and and create space for you know blessed are those who mourn. Mm-hmm. And I, I used to think that that was a kind of well, if you're mourning, you're blessed. And I've started to think maybe that's hey, you might want to think about mourning. We all got something to mourn, yeah. but if you if you choose that path then you know you will be blessed and you will be comforted and yeah it's, it's difficult to do but it's you know it seems so relevant right just you know allowing those fears to not be pushed back down but to give them to god yeah you know i was so challenged this easter sunday again you know still very limited and I think every Easter there's a pressure on clergy to say something new about the resurrection, (laughs) to bring out a new thought. And I have nothing. I have absolutely nothing. I can relate to that. (laughs) (laughs) It's those big moments of the year. And I've been reading Tish Harrison Warren's book, um, Those Who Work and Watch and Weep, and she talks about the power of... 
um, living in the story and standing on the shoulders of the prayers of people who've gone before us, that there is this big resurrection story and that's enough. We don't need to, you know, G people up. We don't need to um, add our own little twist to something like the resurrection. It sounds silly naming it, but, you know, it's true. This is where we're at. Mm. But simply saying God's story, actually, folks, this is enough for us and um, we don't have to add to this this you can't get resurrection anywhere else other than in the heartbeat of god you know and that was in one way freeing for me but it was very humbling too because i think for years we do just try to um put a twist on it and do something slightly different and sometimes just simply returning to what we know is right in the depth of God's being is the most honest approach to worship. Mm. I was thinking about, you mentioned earlier idols and I wondered if you um, have sort of identified, you know, this time of disruption, are there idols that within the church, within the worship world, or maybe in the wider world that, that are being disrupted in our day? You know, do you have a sense of, what God is doing, what he's trying to kind of call us out from and call us into. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, when you think of Jesus entering the world to disrupt what was essentially Roman Empire then, the Pax Romana, mm. the, this idea of peace in empire. But, you know, it, it was very defined that it's peace in our terms, you know, subjugating every other nation and following our way. And Jesus came to teach a very different kind of kingdom peace that allowed every nation to be free. And I think we've been on a really interesting journey in, um, in our church, Church of the Servant, where um, it's multicultural. And when lockdown started, we all tried to do Zoom, encouraged everyone to get on one Zoom, but very quickly, we realized this is great if you're educated, if you're white, if you've access to good Internet and computers in your own home. And it was very telling who was able to access Zoom worship and who wasn't. And that started many in-depth conversations of how do we encourage our African brothers and sisters in particular and our Sri Lankan uh, families to to connect. And what happened was really interesting. We, we developed a second uh, worship service that was dominantly Swahili speaking, but it had translation for English. Up till now, we've all been going through English, encouraging people to you know share one language, but we went um, to Swahili. And that was fascinating because, you know, a couple of things we observed for the first time, it allowed and enabled a woman to participate in leading prayers and in leading intercessions in a beautiful, passionate way, because it was a more comfortable language, just quite uh, simply. Um, it allowed our, our African leaders to step up and take leadership and the, the white Westerners stood back. And so there was a, a wonderful disruption happening there of we need to be aware of what is the dominant culture in our worship and how it uh, sometimes unknowingly creates these barriers. Um, so we're on such a 
wonderful, fragile, interesting journey of how do we um, open up the worship in a way where different cultures that have very different um, sometimes just ways of doing worship can can be together you know and some of the challenges we're facing now as we're moving towards gathering to in person were you know the western way is have your sign up so that we can count the numbers um our our congolese friends just laugh at that <laughs> why would you sign up for worship so they, they just don't they don't do it you know uh, time is another issue you know it's all very regimented for the western americans that count right down to the second but you know uh, for our uh, congolese friends time is just so secondary it's relationships that really matter so we're welcoming all these kinds of um, disruption to your worship and saying how can we find a way that values um, all these different qualities that are being brought into worship and doesn't just say there's a dominant cultural way but we want to be truly multicultural and embracing all all people from whatever nations it's a really exciting but also terrifying journey to go on isn't it Karen where yeah. you are seeking to in a way say what is this new church's culture isn't it <laughs> where you've had a dominant one and everyone assumed that that becomes, not even realise it, that has been the culture. And when you have uh, uh, other groups and different um, ethnicities and cultural heritages coming in and it's how we all belong. Right. And uh, I really love what you're seeking to do, that everyone belongs. And so then something new and glorious emerges where we're all enriched. But that journey is a really difficult journey kind of going back to the exodus you know um i've got a lovely jewish believer friend you know it only took god like what a couple of days to get them out of egypt but it took 40 years to get egypt out of the people you know we know that you know in, there can be initial movements that that stuff happens but the whole relating to one another in a new new way um is it can be a long slow journey but it's a worthwhile one do it so it's a worthwhile uh journey um, and, and, and the endeavour, and it's, it's, it's one of God, really, because he doesn't, he doesn't come to, it's not, it's not for, he hasn't come to fuck up cakes and rainbows. No. I quote that a lot of time from the Trolls, Trolls movies, what my children are watching. <laughs> and, you know, Branch, the really grumpy one, you know, he goes to Poppy, you know, life's not all cupcakes and rainbows. <laughs> and, <you> know, <laughs> and he's so right, life is not all cupcakes and rainbows. And we've, we've totally experienced that, but it can be really hard when a worshipping community really feels that isn't it that life mm. is not all cupcakes and rainbows and actually in this worship community I'm being made to to reassess what I thought was the right culture but actually that just happened to be the dominant one but there are others that are valid and you know it's um I think you're right you've touched on disrupting worship it's not it's it's so I'm glad you chose the title for this podcast because it, it just it just goes and goes <laughs> you know there there's so many layers there's so many layers um to, to it and it's about I don't know I think it's hard it's, you talked about that being fathoming God that flexibility are we trying to foster a heart that is so chasing after God that actually you have you can accommodate the bump rocks in the road and the the challenges to your own assumptions and and all that and and you know realize this is a growth opportunity it's not yeah but it's um 
and letting go again of the control of outcomes and where you think you should be ending up and creating that space. But like you said, Grace, is such a long, long road, um, the journey of multicultural worship. And I'm grateful for the point we're at, but just so aware of the barriers too. Mm -hmm. You know, we're a very liturgy-oriented congregation which means a 16 page worship booklet which is quite a quite a thing but you know again for those who love oral culture um, and that's their primary way of um, worshipping that's such a challenge so how do we how do we bridge both of those and you know equally the linear way of worship here's where we start here's where we end as opposed to cyclical going round uh, repeating songs all of that and you know we've both of those preferences present within our, our congregation and I think for me the sign of health is when our Swahili worship service will be able to speak back into the dominant white Western service. Uh, The small marker we've got is um, in our communion liturgy, we talk about Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And we've introduced the Swahili words for that so that the congregation is learning a bit of Swahili. Um, But it's so small, you know, the Christuami Kufa, Christuami Fafuka, Christuala Kujitena, you know, it's so, it's just one line, but it just shows you the how long and this road is going to be um, but it's an important road that there's a reverse gaze and speaking back into the dominant uh, culture and are you bringing experiences from because i know you worked as an ethnomusicologist and as a as a missionary in africa and are you bringing some of those experiences into what you're doing now how's that shaping yeah, for sure. And, you know, again, that's been a long journey to, you know, I my primary work was um, with Sudanese refugees in Kakuma refugee camp. And what got me on that journey, quite simply, was I saw a group of people in lockdown, you know, <laughs> in a refugee camp for 20 years and more children had grown up. That was all they knew. But the songs they were singing there were so rich and deep and culturally embedded in a way that in Nairobi it was a bit more surfacey, very praise and worshipy, but in with the, the Dinka culture it was so deep and so that's where my learning began. What's going on there? And I think that idea of having things stripped away and being on a pilgrim journey and looking for what is deep, what is meaningful. So I think there's all kinds of themes that begin to come uh, there. And, you know, a story I love is the Ethiopian church when they went into lockdown um, in the 1960s. It was a Marxist regime for 30 years. So Christian worship wasn't allowed. Um, But what they did there was... um, they would invite people into their homes for Ethiopian coffee parties. And if you know the Ethiopian coffee making process, it's long, you know, you go out, you get your beans from the garden, you pick them, hand pick them, hand roast them, then, you know, grind them down. And it's a whole, you know, day's worth of process. But while they were doing that, they were sitting in a circle and, humming um, Christian songs together, you know, in lockdown, hiding um, fear of persecution. But that went on for 30 years. Like, can you imagine 
living that way for 30 years. But, you know, here's the thing. Um, at the start of the 1960s, there were 5,000 Christians in Ethiopia. By the 1990s, it was 50,000. So, you know, it had multiplied. And so I think there, there's certainly lessons from the Southern Hemisphere, if we just lean in and listen, wow, you know, it would be so enlivening. And again, the idea of flexibility, flexing yeah. your muscles yeah. and yeah. allowing God's strong love to hold you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was reading a book the other day. I nearly threw it against the wall when I read this bit. It's a guy who was trying to defend liturgical worship, which I have no problem with how he was doing that. And then he got to one point and just almost apropos nothing said, of course, you know, when we come to music, it's it's going to probably need to be Western classical music because, you know, the Western church has really grown up with the established church. And I just got so cross because yeah. I thought, well, yeah, if you're wanting your worship to remain the same forever and ever, then feel free to do that. But actually there's a big world out there, you know, that has been, you know, living and dying with Jesus for 2000 years. And there's so much that we can learn from the global church. And, you know, as you, as you sort of expressed there, Karen, and I just got so cross at the sort of blinkeredness of that, of that view and how, and I, and I, and then I need to, you know, turn my finger on myself and think, well, okay, Sam, how many songs from other cultures do I you know, use and use with integrity and use with, with a real understanding of that culture and, you know, really trying to learn from them. And it is, it's not an easy thing to do, but it is possible. And certainly when you describe those minority communities in your church, and I think about I'm in Luton and we know we've got minority communities all around us. In fact, they, you know, at times they're the majority communities because of the, the sheer numbers. And yet, you know, are we learning from them? Are we giving them space to share their songs and share their testimony and share their styles of worship? It's, mm -hmm. you know, it's a, it's hard, but it's an opportunity as well. Yeah, and I think of Alexander Schmemann, one of the great liturgical theologians. He talked about liturgy quite simply, like functioning like your heart. It pumps in the love of God and then pumps it out to the world. And I think that's all, that's all we need to know there, yeah. right? you know and we don't need to put restrictions on it has to be a certain type of music we really don't but just allowing the love of God to pump into our lives and then be pumped out again and using that as a model for uh, authentic worship and not being afraid to see where that takes us and also being aware just like Jesus who, who finds it painful to come to worship I think always being attentive to those who are right on the, the margins and the fringes who finds it hard just to sit in any worship service because I think that's what Jesus would have done you know mm. um, and welcomed them in mm. so that you know just upends I wonder if Mary the mother of God had come in as a single mum pregnant you know where would she have found her place in our worship would she um, so just remembering again that bigger story and what I've uh, discovered in uh, lockdown is um, less really is more and simplified liturgy and short liturgy works really well. Yeah. And I know that's something. And I, then I find that then there's opportunities then that if if it's if um, it's more accessible for everyone. 
I, I know I'm just kind of thinking going forward, you know, 90 minute services don't serve everyone. They don't serve a lot of people, you know, if um, whether you've got, you know, because of a variety of reasons, or if you've got a, a joyful cultural melting pot going on there, there, you know, it's, um, yeah, that's, that's been my ref- reflection that actually uh, having a, a shorter focus time, and then soft around the edges kind of helps those who need to come and go, those who need to know it's beginning and ending and those who will drift in, but then they know that they can still hang out. And, you know, and I love the the Orthodox tradition where I went to an Orthodox service when I was trained to become a vicar and it's a very long service. My goodness, it's a long service. Um, but they didn't stay for all of it. They came in, they were going out. They were, you know, <laughs> and I kind of felt I was a mug being, you know, Church of England, I've got to be there at nine and wherever, wherever. And they were just coming in and out, you know, and some of them then just turned up for the sacrament and the, the key bit and then they were gone again and, and I just, and when I reflect on that now, in a way there was a, a, a grace about it, yeah. you know, which sort of, uh, which, there was this grace in, in, said, in a way of saying, you know what, everyone's welcome. Whether yeah. you've just turned up for the whole thing, whether you're just turning up at the last moment, you were, you were welcome. And, and I think that's a gift of other cultures, in, um, that there is, you know, of some cultures, of, you, know, it's, you know, punctuality can be helpful. But also that that culture that speaks into the relationship is more important. I was late because I was talking to my neighbour who has their cats just died and she needed me to be with her, you know. Um, so, so yeah, so those are my musings about the dis, this disruption in terms of collective worship is inviting us to be less precious, uh, whatever that dominant culture is. And actually I've learned, I'm learning that's shorter and then having these more fluid times, which is not, you could say, the Church of England way. I think we are naturally a very controlling church. <laughs> and anyway, you know, so it's just in our DNA, um, yeah. you know, we are, you know, you've got your 39 articles and you've got your common worship and it is kind of, that is the mindset. And so the challenge for me within that is thinking, well, what's God saying? And actually where are the people at? And we just need to be a bit more fluid and have a bit more grace, which I love from the Orthodox Church. There was no berating people, but they came at the last minute yeah. and then they left. They were just as welcome. And we see that with Jesus, you know, the parables, you mm. know, the, the workers who were on time and the workers who came in the last minute all received grace. And um, and what I'm hearing from you, Karen, is this, uh, this desire that God's shalom, God's grace permeates our worship. And therefore, that enables us to inhabit spaces that might be discomforting for me personally, that actually might enable my fellow brother to connect with God and play in a space that enables different cultures to actually really communicate together and share together and learn from one another and realise that we are equal and we both are bringing something valuable to the party. But I really just hear that from you, that the, if we don't have that full understanding and breadth of the shalom of God and that it is for everyone, then you can't help but be controlling. And, you know, we're beginning now, we're ending now, and you came late, so the doors are, you know, the doors are closed too late kind of kind of thing. And I love your um, comparison with the Orthodox Church, which is almost like a continuous cycle of, and you just come in, you pick up, and then you leave again, you know, very like the TSA worship in yeah. France. Um, and... I think you can't ever underestimate how culturally embedded our worship can become, right? You know, and yeah. that's the importance of cultures meeting in worship to disrupt and making sure the dominant culture 
doesn't just overpower any of you know the the smaller minority cultures uh, coming in. Um, I love the way Michael Hohn talks about high context, low context cultures, and you know he talks about TSA being so beautiful in that you know um, people can come and go. It's cyclical. Time is cyclical. Whereas you know in the West it's very beginning and end. There's the start and the finish. So you know again in, in our church we're trying to find ways of bringing the two together so we've dancers so there's something people can see going on around them it's not all just focused linear at the front but there's things happening around so there's more of that freedom going on uh, in worship so yeah just paying attention to your cultural (laughs) embeddedness I think has been huge you know similarly the communion kind of discussion that's happened across the world do we do communion at home without a a priest or a bishop or you know and different cultures have answered it in different ways and I think that's been very telling you can never underestimate how your cultural preference is kind of um, influencing something as central as as communion. As you talk there about uh, things ending but not really ending, it occurs to me that we are coming to the end, uh, but hopefully not really ending uh, of our time. But also this is the last of uh, having a little season of, of these, this season one, and this is the final one. So uh, we would love people to keep going with these conversations um just remind you that there's reflection questions on the website if you want to look at this with a group or maybe in your in your own just reflection time and also uh just to get back to us and and let us know how you've been getting on with these podcasts any any thoughts uh we're thinking about maybe doing a season two so if people have got ideas about people we should interview or topics we should look at we'd be really open to to finding out about that um yeah, but Karen, it's been really lovely to have you with us and, to, you know, the way that you bring both this kind of real theological depth and insight and all your experiences of, of, of you know, being overseas and things, but then also just this very lived experience of your own community has been a really good way to kind of finish off the season. Do you, do you want to, have you got any websites or anything you can point people towards if they're interested in finding out more about your church or what you do or... Yeah, so um, I certainly check out the church website, Church of the Servants, CRC, it's called. Um, Check out some of the music we've been producing this year. We produced an album that went out into homes and um, you'll find that on Bandcamp. So please do enjoy just listening to the the things that have been created. And there's lots of lovely stories um, about liturgy, about worship on our Church of the Servant website too. So please do dig around. And thanks for having me on this, uh, Grace and Sam, and just wonderful to imagine what a flexible pilgrim shalom-oriented theology of worship is with you. <laughs> oh, bless you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Callan. Visit engageworship.org slash disruptingworship for reflection questions and links to resources for each episode. You can get in touch with us by email on info at engageworship.org and also via Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Engage Worship. Worship.